Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast, where you'll find fresh messages uploaded weekly. Pathway Church is a Bible-based church located in Peterborough, Ontario, and we're on a mission to reach people far from God and see them become devoted followers of Jesus. We hope that what you hear today will help you to take one step closer to Jesus. Thanks so much for joining us, and if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe. In case I forgot earlier, or we have not met, my name's Clay, by the way, and I'm excited about um, finishing the series. I, I mentioned that it was the grand finale. I'll just call it the finale. I'll let you decide if it's grand or not. We'll just say this is the last installment of this series. I want to say hello to all of our churches that are uh, joining with us. It's so cool that we get to uh, be on this journey together to talk about some really important topics. Um, I, I mentioned that I was going to share a story with you uh, about something happened to me recently where a couple of gentlemen started crying in the middle of this conversation and it really, it threw me off, you know? I don't know if it's appropriate to jump up and get a man, a tissue, but that's, the, that's what I felt like I needed to do. Um, we, we were on a retreat. It was a work retreat. Uh, we have a, a, some, a bunch of churches in this area and so every, all the campus pastors, the people that are leading each church got together for a retreat and my boss was putting on the retreat. His name is Lane Jones. And then my boss's boss was there. His name is Andy Stanley. And so we're sitting there having a conversation at dinner. And it was kind of a free-for-all. Everybody's just talking. And so I've got young kids. My wife and I, we've got five kids under the age of nine. So we've got a nine, seven, five, three, and a one. Those are their ages, not their names. And I, I, I've been asking this question a lot recently. I've been saying, hey, um, what would you do differently if you could go back, particularly people that have older kids? And, or what do I not know? What, what, now that your kids are adults, what do you wish you knew? You know, that kind of thing. So I asked him that. And uh, as soon as I asked this question, uh, I looked at Lane first. And he got a tear in his eye. And the one tear turned into many tears after he answered. He said, I know it's kind of cliche because everyone says it, you know, that just flies by. But I just, I was so stressed and anxious and had so much pressure that I put on myself that I just, I'm sad when I think about the fact that those, those kids are now adults and I'll never get to see the 11-year-old version of my 29-year-old son and the 8-year-old version of my 24-year-old daughter and, and, and the 3-year-old the, the version of my 22-year-old daughter. He said, in fact, the other day I thought about them as an 11-year-old, an 8-year-old, and a 3-year-old, and I just started crying thinking about that that, is, that, that childhood is it's gone. I'll never know them again in that way. And then Andy jumped in and he goes, yeah, I I heard a young dad the other day talking about how hectic Saturday was going to be and running around all over and the baseball game and then the birthday party and then the thing that we got to go do. And he said, I just, what I would give to go back and relive one of those Saturdays again. And they're sitting there both just like drowning in tears. And I I looked at them, I was like, mop it up, grow up. Good grief. This is ridiculous. No, I didn't say that because it was my boss and it was my boss's boss, you know? You have one of those. So I was like, oh yeah, tell me more. Um, but it made me realize that what they were experiencing, what they were explaining, it actually, um, it, w- it was actually healthy. Because what they were talking about is they were talking about this word right here, the word loss. They were talking about that they had lost something. And to not mourn the loss of something, even if it's the passing of the childhood of their kids, to not mourn it would have been, uh, it, it would have been irresponsible. It definitely wouldn't have been healthy. That what they were doing was a, was a healthy thing. That they were experiencing the, the emotion that is attached to loss. 
That, that's a great thing to do because if you don't, what's going to happen? Well, you'll end up treating those, those grown-up kids like they're 11 and 8 and 3 the rest of their life. That's not a good thing. Or you'll end up just, you know, every time any of them come over, like, let's watch some more slideshows and let's look at some more pictures. And let's try to relive that past. And that, that, some of that is obviously fine, but doing that all the time, that wouldn't be healthy either. That usually when we say, oh, it's fine, the point of this series is that usually that is a sign for us to pay attention to something. And in as much time and as much energy as we give to physical hygiene, what if we spent that same experience and time and money and energy on emotional hygiene, particularly around the things that we have lost? Because a loss is often a sign of a a broken dream. Usually uh, most of our emotion, it, it is near the cemetery of loss in our life. Oftentimes a loss represents not just something or someone that we've lost, but maybe it's a a broken dream or a, a, a job that didn't work out, or maybe it's just a sign for us that life is not working out like we thought it was going to. See, what I have noticed, what I've discovered is that whenever we have change, we, we have to pay attention to the fact that change always includes loss. In fact, Loss in and of itself, it challenges us to, it gives us the opportunity to grieve because change always includes loss and loss always needs to be grieved. Now, when you think about grief, when you hear the word grief, when you think about the action of grieving something, usually it's, uh, we, we, we most closely associate it with someone who's passed away, someone in our life who has died. But, but grief isn't just relegated to the loss of someone, but grief is also associated. It also is a healthy habit for things that we've lost. Grief is just the conflicting emotion that's created by change or by loss. So maybe for you, it's why did we lose that game? There's plenty of Atlanta Falcons fans that still need to grieve the Super Bowl of two years ago. Was that not the most brutal loss you have ever experienced? It was for me. I cry at the thought of it, at the sight of any sign of Tom Brady. And it brings tears to my eyes. Or maybe for some of you, it's something more serious than that. Why did I get laid off? Or why didn't I get into that school? Or why didn't I get into the club or the fraternity or the sorority? Or why was my child born with this particular need? Or or why is everyone I know still married, but I'm still alone? See, what, what we all pick up in life is we pick up a way to grieve or a way not to grieve. We, we pick up a way to handle loss, a way to respond to loss. This is the way most people experience loss. You just bury the feelings, replace the losses. Oh, time heals everything, you know? Like it's just a Richard Marks song. Is that a Richard Marks song? I don't know. It feels like it would be. That's the way most people handle loss. Oh, well, just bury the feelings, bury the emotions. Just replace it. Get a new one. Go, go buy another one. Or go find a new spouse. But, but, but let's just give it some space, give it some time, and trust that time will heal, heal it all. This is the way uh, I think my parents inadvertently had me deal with the loss of uh, my first pet, goldfish, named Frank. Um, I was young. Frank started swimming upside down. And as you know, um, and as my parents told me, that is usually a sign that Frank needs to go into the greater ocean. Little did I know that the the way down the toilet was the way out to the ocean. I I hadn't seen Finding Nemo at the time, okay? It was like, for me, I was walking around like trying to find emo. You know, that was what I was like, emo, like emotions. You know what I mean? That's what I was doing. 
Uh, but, but my parents just assured me. They said, no, 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 we'll, we'll get a new one. There's other fish in the sea, they said. Really mixing metaphors there, right? But this is what I picked up as a kid, is that you just bury the feelings, you, you just replace the losses, and then you just let time heal everything. But, but we all know that this doesn't necessarily work. In fact, you might look at that and go, yeah, yeah, that's the way most people do it, but I don't know that that's that healthy. I mean, because we all, we all know that failing to grieve loss, when we fail to grieve the thing or the person or the, the dream that we lost, we're actually burying something that's alive. We're burying emotions alive. And burying emotions alive ensures that that emotion is going to show up later on, and it's probably going to show up in a different way, in, 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 a, in a, a way that has more consequences to it. I mean, how many people do you know? How many people do we know that are, that are avoiding grief, and unfortunately they have wound up in the ditches of things like alcoholism or workaholism or even experiencing broken relationships or compulsive eating or spending patterns. Everyone, everyone can think of someone like that, and oftentimes it's traced back to the failure to grieve something that they've lost. As we've said this whole series is that when, when we do not pay attention to the state of our emotions, in the same way that if we didn't pay attention to our physical hygiene, there would be consequences, in the same way... Failing to pay attention to our emotions has consequences as well. In fact, everyone around you will eventually feel what you fail to grieve. If you choose not to grieve, if you fail to grieve, if you avoid the habit, the practice of grieving, it will eventually affect relationships in your life, the ones that you care about. That's why this series is so important, because your upward mobility as a professional your ability to be a, a, a great friend, to have meaningful relationships, the degree in which you can be a great husband or a great spouse, a great, a great father, a great mother, a great friend, it's contingent upon your ability to have healthy emotional habits. And when we fail to do that, particularly around the area of grief, we're just kicking the can down the road. And, and what we end up finding out is that the later we choose to deal with our emotions, the greater the consequences, right? Do, do emotions in and of themselves have consequences? I, I don't know if they do. Uh, emotions are messengers. They're part of us. They're, they're, they're meant to let us know what's, what's happening, to alert us of something. But the later you pay attention to them, the more you stuff them, avoid them, hide them, bury them alive, they do eventually have consequences. And the later problems eventually have greater consequences. Later problems eventually become greater problems. That the longer you wait to deal with it, the, the more opportunity it has to affect your own life and the life of those around you. So what do we do about this? Well, fortunately, there's two places that I usually go when I'm trying to figure something out emotionally. One, we're going to look at in just a second. I, I, I read the Psalms at least once a year because of how healthy, mostly King David, who wrote most of the Psalms, how healthy he was emotionally, or so it seemed. He was constantly telling God how he felt. He was aware that the way he felt affected the relationships of the people around him. 
And he was very aware of what was going on inside of himself. So we're going to look at one of the most famous psalms in just a bit. But before we get there, the second place I usually go is the life of Jesus. Because Jesus was the image of the invisible God. Jesus, part of what he was doing on earth was to show us, to let us see, to give us a sneak peek as to what God is like. Hey, here's, here's the way you should process life, the way you could process life. And so there are numerous places where we see Jesus effectively appropriately dealing with the emotions that he's feeling. Fully God, yet fully human on earth. One of those stories that we see in his life is the story of Lazarus, which is found in the the entire chapter of John 11. We could spend loads of time on John 11, but for the sake of the discussion for today, I've just pulled out a couple of the interesting parts of what happens in the story of Lazarus. Jesus has a couple of Uh, a couple of followers that were with him at all times. Some of them were men, some of them were women. Two of these particular women were named Martha and Mary. They had a relative named Lazarus who was sick and soon to die, and they let Jesus know about this. And the way Jesus responds gives us an insight into how we could respond when facing potential loss, looming loss, or even the effects of loss itself. This is the way... It goes, when Jesus saw her weeping, when Jesus saw that she was grieving the the potential loss of Lazarus and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and he was troubled. He was present. He was aware. This is amazing to me because if you know the story, what's about to go down is Jesus found out that Lazarus was sick. He delayed in going to help. They wanted him to come and help figure out how to help him get better. But he delayed. And in his delay, what happened to Lazarus? Anyone? Yeah, he died. He passed away. He was so dead that when they talk about this, it's one of my favorite King James uh, translations of this verse. He was so dead. Jesus says, well, let me see him. They said, sir, you need to know that he stinketh, which is a, it's just a really interesting uh, old English translation of that word, right? That he, he was so dead that he smelled bad. And so they're mourning not only the sickness of him, but also the loss of him. And Jesus was present enough to be moved. He was present enough to be aware of what they were feeling and to, to be empathetic enough to feel it himself. So he asked the question. He says, well, where have they laid him? He asked. Well, come and see, Lord, they replied. And then these next two words give us so much insight. These next two words give us such a great picture of the way you and I were made, were meant to handle loss. But if you don't know anything about Jesus, maybe all you've ever heard about are the miracles the, the healings, the feeding of the 5,000, all, all the way to the cross, to the resurrection. But what you see here is this little picture of the, the human side of him. That he was affected by what he was feeling. That he was moved by what he was experiencing. John 11, verse 35, says, Jesus wept. Now, why why did John capture this for us? 
Why, why, why did John feel like this is so important to know about the story? You, because the headline of the story is, Friend dies, Jesus heals, minds blown. That should have been the story, right? But he includes this little detail to let us know that, hey, if you're going through something difficult, if you're going through something where you have lost something or someone, it's appropriate to weep. This wasn't a sign of weakness. No, this was a sign of a strength of empathy. I'm paying attention to what you feel. I want to let you know that I know what it's like to be human. So John lets us know. So before any of the fireworks happened, Jesus, he, he wept. And in doing so, he models for us what it looks like to mourn or to grieve. I began this by asking you what kind of crier you are. Because all of us do this differently. All of us handle this differently. In fact, if I were to try to prescribe a way to grieve, it would be silly. Because the way you grieve is not the way someone else grieves. And so this isn't, a, this isn't a, an encouragement to make sure you weep from time to time. No, that might not be you. Some of you would go, well, that's good because I weep daily. You know, which that's okay too. The good news is, there's no right way. We all grieve differently, we all mourn differently. But I think what John included this for, I think why he included this is to let us know, hey, it must be a part of your hygiene. This practice of grieving what you lost must be a part of the way you stay healthy. I, I mentioned the Psalms and... King David. We're going to look at one of the most profound psalms, one of the most popular psalms. This psalm is read at funerals, but it's also read at weddings because it's filled with a lot of hope. But we're going to look at just the one verse right in the middle of Psalm 23. Psalm 23 begins with this beautiful idea that God is our shepherd. David's writing this prayer to God. God, you are my shepherd and you lead me into green uh, fields and you lead me beside waters that quench my thirst and you refresh, you restore my soul. And then right in the middle, he talks about these moments in life that require, that demand grieving. He says this in verse four, even though I walk through the darkest valley, even though I walk through the darkest valley. This reminds me of, uh, do you remember the little book that you may have read to your kids or your grandkids, your nieces or your nephews, the, the book about the bear hunt, you know? We're going on a bear hunt. We're going to catch a big one. And the, the whole idea of this book is that as we're traversing through the pathway, what, what's that line? It goes, you can't go around it. You can't go under it. You can't go over it. Where do you have to go? You got to go through it. See, this word is so important that there is a dark valley. That's not news to anyone. We all know that life is filled with dark valleys. Some of you may be in a dark valley right now. Some of you may have just come through a dark valley. But the worst thing that you could do as you're processing the dark valley is to avoid the valley. 
Because you can't go around the valley. You can't go over the valley. You can't go under the valley. No, David reminds us, even though I walk through the valley, you have to walk through the valley. But then he says, well, let me tell you some great things, though. That's the bad news. But let me also give you the good news. The bad news is you, you got to go through it. The good news is, is, he says, I will fear no evil. He says, even though I walk through it, it doesn't mean that I'm going to be paralyzed by fear. This is, uh, this is so profound to me because so much of the dark valley is about loss. So much of the dark valley is about who we've lost or what we've lost or, or, or maybe even worse, what's going to happen now that we've lost? What is the uncertainty of the loss going to do to my life today? So much of fear is rooted in loss. It's rooted in, oh no, what now? Fear is all about the future. Fear exists. It plays on our desire to know the future. How am I going to pay for it now? How am I going to make it now? What am I going to do now that I'm alone now? How am I going to find a job now? What does this change mean for me now that I've experienced this loss? And David's letting us know, hey, this is amazing. You don't have to fear. You don't have to fear all the uncertainties of life. Yeah, yeah, but David, the way I run away from fear is by avoiding the dark valley. He says, no, you can go through the dark valley and not be paralyzed by the fear that you think waits in front of you. He says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. Why? Because I can trust that you're with me. I can trust that you stand beside me. I can trust that you hold my hand through it. Some of you are avoiding the loss of something that is emotional because you're not sure if you can face it. You're not sure what it would look like if you did face it. What what if you knew? What if you knew that your Father in Heaven was with you? What would it look like for you to walk through the valley, not alone, but with Him by your side? All the things that you can't control. What if you knew that He was the one who controls them? He was the one that holds all the power. He is the one who really does hold the future. And what if you knew that he was holding your hand as you were walking through the dark valley? That's what got David through. And then this next, this conclusion to the stanza, it goes like this. He says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Any of you uh, raise any sheep? No? Uh, We don't (laughs) have. We don't have a lot of those around here. Um, I, I don't know a lot about raising sheep, okay? So for me to sit here and pretend like I do is silly. I don't. But when I think about the rod and the staff in relation to the sheep, I wouldn't imagine they have a good relationship. You know what I mean? Like I wouldn't think that the rod, it's not exactly like he said, your comb and your brush, they groom me. You know? I don't think the rod and the staff are there for the comfort of the sheep. 
I mean, what's the purpose of the rod and the staff? I don't know. What do you think it is? You probably know as much about sheep as I do. I am not a sheep expert, a sheep spurt, if you will. I would imagine the rod is there to, to poke, to prod, to go, okay, okay, come, come on, let's go. If we don't go, we're going to be in danger. If we don't move, we're not going to get anything to eat. What's the, what's the staff for? I mean, the staff usually has that hook on the end of it, you know? I, I would imagine it's for grabbing a sheep and going, no, 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 this way, this way. And I wouldn't imagine in the moment it feels good. But it's interesting to me that he says, your rod and your staff, they bring comfort to me. Why is the sheep comforted by the rod and the staff? Not because it doesn't hurt. He doesn't say if you go through the darkest valley, it will be lovely. I mean, the, the, amount of, the amount of things that we have in our life now to give us comfort is absurd. What is our thread count at these days on our sheets? It's unbelievable. I mean, they're going to be like, eventually they're going to be like, no, this was, it, 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 we, we didn't even have any thread in this. It was just one piece of fabric. I don't even know how you would create that, but millions of thread counts. All for comfort. But he goes, no, no, no. It's not going to always be comfortable, but you can trust that the rod and the staff will get you to where you want to go. You can trust the rod and the staff. And, and they will bring the comfort that comes with being able to trust the shepherd. He says, that's why you can walk through the darkest valley. So how, how do you know? How how do you know, as you look back over your life, how do you know if there is something in your life, some loss in your life that you have not grieved? I I asked a friend of mine that, one of the pastors that works here. Her name is Debbie Causey. She is uh, just a sharp, sharp person. She's a, a, a licensed counselor. She runs all of our care initiatives. We call it our care network. I said, Debbie... Well, well, what would you say to that? If somebody were to ask, well, where do I look? Where do I pay attention to? How would I know? Here's what she said. She said, this is a sign that an emotion has been buried. This is a sign that you've buried something alive and you have not grieved it fully. When you give a dollar response to a 50 cent incident. I love this. Uh, I have not thought, I, I have not stopped thinking about this. I've thought about it numerous times since she told me this. That basically, what, what, what is a dollar response to a 50 cent incident? It's basically when there's a disproportion amount between the weight of the incident or the height or the, the, how, how significant the incident was and how large the response was. Maybe in your case, it's something about life triggered this huge response. And it wasn't even that big of a deal. But, but, but all of a sudden now, everyone around you is going, whoa, what was that? You know what I mean? And, and she said, she said, and be careful when you're telling people this. And I, I got my pen out. I said, go ahead, what? Be careful what? She said, make sure that people know you got to be careful when pointing this out in other people. Particularly your spouse, right? When your spouse blows up over something small, that's not the time to go, huh, looks like there's something in your life that needs to be grieved. You know what I mean? No, we as humans, we like self-identifying. We like coming up with it on our own, becoming aware of it on our own. So maybe you would ask a curious question. Hey, just curious. Um, I noticed your response. I saw what had, what, what had happened was, and I just want to know, was, is there more there than, than, than I know of? I think it's appropriate to ask some questions there, but the big idea is in all of us personally, 
Forget all the other people around us in our lives, but in all of us personally, what, what would it look like for us to pay attention to the dollar response to the 50 cent incident so that we could make some space for, for good grief, valuable grief? When's the last time you made some space for the healthy kind of grief? See, in, in the line of work that I am in, in, in this industry of uh, church ministry, uh, we, we hear a lot about what happens in people's lives. So I'm certainly not an expert, but in the same way that if you were to go ask somebody who's a mechanic and say, hey, uh, tell me when this happens to a car, what, what's, what's, what's the pattern there? You know, a health professional would say, oh, this is what we most commonly see. If you were to ask me, well, wh- where do you see this most? I'll tell you where I see it most is in People that are into their adulthood, you know, people that are in their late 30s, people that are in their 40s, 50s, 60s, they're they're not an emerging adult anymore. And they start to look back over their life. They wake up one day realizing that this is not where I plan to be. I'm not getting out of life what I thought I was going to get. My dreams are not coming true. And so they make a decision, maybe not consciously, but they're decisions lead themselves to the point where they go, I'm going to get the life that I wanted no matter the cost because the one I currently have is not really working out. And oddly, they usually end up financing a boat. That's just an interesting aside. Um, I'm kidding. For those of you that are in boat sales, you're probably like, listen, we don't need any shade, okay, on the boat business. No, or they lease a truck or a convertible or, or They go searching for a vacation or they try to find another spouse. But they decide, maybe even unconsciously, I'm going to trade in whatever it is that doesn't seem like it's working to go find something new. And it creates relational strain in their life. And then one day they wake up and they go, how did I get here? Now all of a sudden my marriage is kind of a mess. Now all of a sudden my my friendships, my my co-workers, my, my... relationships that I would say I value in life, they're strain on them. And oftentimes, it's because there is some sort of loss in their life that they have not grieved. And, and, and they too, like you and like me, they, they've been taught, well, just bury our feelings and replace our losses and trust that time will heal everything. But I, I want to give you another path. I want to give you another plan. Instead of doing it this way, because I think you would all agree that this way doesn't work. This way eventually comes back to bite you. There's got to be a better way forward. Instead of choosing to bury our feelings and replace our losses and allow time to heal, what if we did it this way instead? What if we decided, I'm going I'm to feel my feelings and express them freely? What if you decided to feel your feelings and express them freely? This is why we do group, the way we do group around here. Because this is so essential to have a group of people in your life that you can count on, a group of intentional relationships where you can express what you're feeling, where you can identify it, and where you can express it. This is what we began the series with. What would it look like for you to actually pay attention to what you're feeling and then to have a place where you can express it freely? And then, instead of deciding, well, I'm just going to replace my losses, what would it look like to slow down to review your loss? Slow down to review it. Take some time to go, okay, hang on. Before I just go replace it, I'm going to look back and try to identify what was it about that that has left me wanting? What was it about that that I actually feel frustrated about or sad about 
or jealous about or bitter about? What would it look like for you to have a place, have a group of people to actually review it? Until you identify it, it will own you. Until you can say, this is what I actually lost. And newsflash, we all know this, but it probably wasn't the job. It probably wasn't the person. No, it was probably something deeper than that. Maybe it was the relationship, the the, the meaningful feeling that you got from the relationship. Or maybe it was the embarrassment of losing the job. Maybe it was the disappointment that the future now has changed. But it's so important to identify, what, what was it that you lost? Can you say it? Can you articulate it? Have you told it? Have you mentioned it to anyone? And then finally, what, what would it look like to, instead of allowing time to heal everything, what would it look like to invite God to heal the wounds of your loss? What would it look like to invite him in to say, hey, God, you know me, you designed me, you created me. And, and, and supposedly you got the whole world in your hands. Somehow you maintain control. At any point, uh, we could just fly off into the orbit that we're, that we're currently in, but somehow we, we stay in, in the orbit that we're in and somehow the world keeps spinning and somehow this body keeps breathing. And w- what would it look like for you to say, God, would, would you come in and heal this loss? Would you come in and heal the wound that's in here? And, and it's amazing. You, you know people, I know people. We all know people that, this is their story. This is what they would say. They would say, I don't know how I got through what I got through. But it was like, a, there's a story in the Old Testament. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They get thrown into this fire. And they're in the furnace. And you look in there, and they're not alone. God's right there with them. And there's some of you, that's your story. You'd go, I don't know how I sustained it. I don't know how I kept it together. Other than the fact that he was with me. And he protected me. And he kept me. And he sustained me. So the way we're going to end our time is um, I've asked our our band to come and play this song. And so Jordan uh, is just going to lay down some sweet notes right now. He's going to. He's going to pad this moment. Um, This is where it gets really emotional. This is a manipulative tool that pastors use, and it's brilliant. I know some of you are probably already calculating what would it be like to get Jordan to come and play, like next time you have a deal to close, you know? He just starts playing sweet notes in the background, changes everything. It's amazing. Uh, But dead serious, what what I want to do is I want to just give you some space to try to identify what what is it? What is it in me that, that I have lost? What is it in me that I have not grieved? What, what, what have you lost that you failed to grieve? I'm just telling you, the healthiest emotional habits lead to the healthiest personal relationships. And until you begin to install some of these healthy practices in your life, then you're eventually and essentially undermining the relationships that you love. And I've just found in my own life that God, it's not that He can't, but it seems like he chooses not to heal what I don't admit to feel. And until I admit that this is what I feel, it's, it's as if he waits for me to admit it until he enters into the picture. So I would just love to carve out a little space. Um, I would just ask, we're going to play a song, and I know a lot of you get real worked up by the traffic, or maybe, I don't know, or maybe you're just excited about the Falcons game. I'm not sure, but I would love it if you would just wait 
and allow some people some space, not distract anyone around you. Some of you, you're going to feel like you need to leave maybe because this is too much to process in an, in an environment like this. But I would just ask you to give it a little space, give it a little time. And then in just a few minutes, we're going to get out of here and all of life's going to be fine. It's, it is fine in this case. But I would love to just encourage you. Would you process the words of this song? Song ends with this little refrain that just says, God, you're, you're the one who's still in control. I'm not in control. It's you who's ultimately in control. So what would it look like for you to invite him in? Say, God, this is what I feel like I lost. This is where I feel like I need to grieve. And would you come and heal the wound of the loss? I'm just telling you, he's a loving heavenly father and he cares for you. He loves you. And that's an invitation that he seems to say yes to every time. Thanks for listening to the Pathway Church Podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us, go to our website, pathwaylife.com. And as always, don't forget to subscribe. See you next week.